It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 353 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo Community Podcast. This episode is called, yeah, gonna need you to come in. It is April 1st, 2022, and this is Jen. We got a lot going on with Activision Blizzard King, but mostly Activision Blizzard uh, in this one. And I'm just going to start from the top here. We've got an article from the Washington Post titled, Activision Blizzard Officially Settles Federal Sexual Harassment Suit for $18 Million. This was posted on March 29. And I'll read you a little bit of that. A judge approved an $18 million settlement between Activision Blizzard and the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission Tuesday that resolves the federal sexual harassment lawsuit faced by the video game publisher. The company still faces multiple suits from shareholders, former employees, and the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing, DFEH. U.S. District Judge Dale Fisher said during the March 29 virtual Zoom hearing on the settlement that she couldn't stop anyone from filing appeals, but her intent was to sign the agreement. Quote, I'm going to sign the consent decree, which will close this case, Fisher said to a DFEH representative on the call, which had sued Activision Blizzard first and asked to delay the settlement approval. Quote, you've already filed a motion. Your request is untimely. Talk to the Ninth Circuit, which is another court for those that aren't aware of the court system here or are from another country and wouldn't have any reason to know about the court system here. So, yeah. Um, So here's some more. Anyone who worked at Activision Blizzard between September 1st, 2016 to present day can submit a claim specifically about sexual harassment, retaliation, or pregnancy discrimination. The EEOC settlement is opt-in only, so claimants have to submit paperwork to be considered for relief. Those who choose to become part of the EEOC settlement will be waiving their rights to be part of the California State Agency's lawsuit on the specific issues of harassment, retaliation, or pregnancy discrimination, If they have other claims, for instance, pay inequity, which isn't covered by the EEOC's agreement with Activision Blizzard, these former or current Activision Blizzard employees can still continue with the California state suit. Each individual's case will depend on their experiences at the company. And here's a quote from... I'll just read you this paragraph. Quote, you don't get to double dip. That's the reality of those set- these settlements, said Anna Park, regional attorney for the EEOC's Los Angeles district. Quote, there's been a lot of confusion around that. We want to encourage everyone to make a very informed decision. In a news release following the settlement Tuesday, Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick said the company's goal is to become, quote, a model for the industry and we will continue to focus on eliminating harassment and discrimination from our workplace. The court's approval of this settlement is an important step in ensuring that our employees have mechanisms for recourse if they experience any form of harassment or retaliation. Uh, (laughs) And I'll just leave you to read the rest of this. As always, I will post everything I talk about in this show in ShatteredSoulStone.com so you can find it when the show comes out, which should be very soon. Moving on. We have the Wall Street Journal, and the Wall Street Journal wrote an article on March 31st. I think it was updated on March 31st. And this one is titled, U.S. Probes Meeting Between Activision CEO and Option Buyer. And here's uh, a piece, or a little bit of this piece. Authorities investigating timely trading in Activision Blizzard Inc. securities are looking into at least one meeting between the video game firm's chief executive and one of three traders days before they placed a large bet on Activision shares, according to people familiar with the matter. 
Activision CEO Bobby Kotek met with Alexander von Furstenberg in the week before Mr. von Furstenberg and media moguls Barry Diller and David Geffen bought options to purchase Activision shares at $40 each on January 14. The options trade, which has generated an unrealized profit of about $59 million, was arranged days before Activision agreed to be acquired for $95 a share by Microsoft Corp. The Wall Street Journal has reported. The Justice Department is investigating whether the options trade violated insider trading laws, the people familiar with the matter said. The Securities and Exchange Commission is separately conducting a civil insider trading investigation, the people said. Mr. Diller previously told the journal in an interview that none of the men had material non-public information about the Microsoft Activision deal. He confirmed they had been contacted by regulators. And here's a quote from from him. We had zero knowledge of that transaction, and it belies credulity to think that if we did, we would have proceeded, Mr. Diller wrote Thursday in an email to the Wall Street Journal. Quote, it's equally unlikely to believe Mr. Kotek, a sophisticated professional in a social breakfast with Mr. von Furstenberg and his wife, would have told them of the pending transaction. So that's a cover your butt kind of quote, because you got caught. Nobody says this stuff out of the blue. You know what I mean? Nobody tries to cover for the other two people that are being investigated like this unless they have something to hide. You know, it's just, uh, it's just not cool. You know, it's just not cool. Uh, Mr. Von Furstenberg disclosed his breakfast meeting with Mr. Kotek to law enforcement authorities who interviewed him about the trade, according to a person familiar with the matters. Mr. Von Furstenberg and Geffen haven't responded to the Wall Street Journal's requests for comment. Mr. Kotek's status in the investigation couldn't be learned. He hasn't been interviewed by law enforcement authorities, some of the people said. The Justice Department declined to comment. The SEC declined to comment. Now, if the Justice Department and the SEC are investigating this, they're probably not going to comment until they're ready and you know the case has been heard and the outcome has been known so here's another quote uh, from a, an Activision spokesman who said, Mr. Kotek had a social brunch with his friends at a popular restaurant. He, of course, didn't share any information with them regarding a possible transaction with Microsoft. Uh, <laughs> this is a mess, man. This is a mess. It's really fishy looking and to me and apparently to the Wall Street Journal as well. I'll read you a little bit more. The meeting between Mr. Von Furstenberg and Kotek adds to the growing regulatory pressure on Activision and Mr. Kotek personally. The SEC is separately investigating Mr. Kotek and other Activision executives over how they handled workplace misconduct allegations, the journal has reported, citing documents and people familiar with the investigation. That probe, along with an investigation led by the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing, has escalated since the Microsoft deal was announced. Activision has said it is cooperating with the SEC probe and has called a recent move by the California State Agency agency to subpoena police records, quote, an extraordinary fishing expedition. Now, my best guess with the police records is that the family of a woman who died by suicide after sexual harassment and or abuse from someone who worked with her at Blizzard uh, have sued, uh, have sued, I think, Activision Blizzard because of what happened to their daughter. And they may be the ones that are going for the police records about what happened and if it was if what had happened to her was reported and you know anything leading up to uh, indications that something was wrong i think is about roughly where they're going with that so that's kind of huge you know that's that's kind of huge that's not an extraordinary fishing expedition this is a lawsuit maybe the california state agency has something with that but that's another lawsuit, so I wonder if um, Kotek is confusing the two because there's just so many lawsuits against this guy and his company right now. And some of the rest of this is stuff we already know. We've already talked about, you know, Activision Blizzard and the whole uh, Microsoft transaction and all of that. And I'll get into more in that, more of that in just a little bit here. We've got another one from the Washington Post posted on March 24, which is, I think, after I did the previous Shattered Soulstone, possibly. But this one says, Microsoft says it will respect the outcome of Activision Blizzard Union Drive. So that's a good thing, actually. 
Microsoft, quote, will not stand in the way, end quote, if Activision Blizzard recognizes a union, said the company's corporate vice president and general counsel, Lisa Tanzi, in a statement to the Washington Post on Thursday. Quote, Microsoft respects Activision Blizzard employees' right to choose whether they'll be represented by a labor organization, and we will honor those decisions, Tanzi said. And then, you know, there's a little review here. We know how long this has been going on. It started with a walkout, and then there was another walkout and, and all this stuff. So I'll skip that part because I think most people are kind of aware of this if you've been listening to Shattered Soulstone or reading the news about it. Um, let's see. The communication work... Communications Workers of America Union, a group that has been supporting Activision Blizzard workers' organizing efforts, told the Washington Post that Microsoft had not directly responded to the workers' letter and concerns beyond the statement it provided to media outlets. So, but I can see where the union might be, you know, the the group that's guiding the union might be concerned if Microsoft is like, yeah, we'll do whatever you guys want. And there's stuff in here about, you know, having a lot of... Uh, Let's see. In, on January, 34 Raven Quality Assurance workers asked management to voluntarily recognize their union. Most of the testers work on the popular game Call of Duty Warzone, which had been organizing for months, motivated by recent layoffs, excessive overtime, and low pay. Activision, however, failed to respond by the deadline set by the organizing workers, writing that, quote, unfortunately, the parties could not reach an agreement. End quote. In a statement to the Washington Post in January, the workers then filed for a union election with the National Labor Relations Board. That's the NLRB. They are in the process of waiting for a judge to rule on what the eligible group of workers who can vote to unionize should be. Activision Blizzard employees have been at the forefront of conversations across the industry about work conditions and corporate misconduct. We kind of know about all of this, so I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. And then we have Kotaku. Activision Blizzard settles sexual harassment lawsuit for $18 million. This was on a couple days ago. Uh, earlier this week, I think I kind of went over that a little bit with the other article, and this one's kind of pulling from the Washington Post and other stuff. But, you know, if you'd rather read Kotaku than whatever the other one was I just mentioned, that's cool. It'll be in the show notes. And we have another one from the Washington Post. This is kind of interesting on many levels. This was posted March 25th. The video game industry is back to in-person events, comma, for better or worse. Okay, and there's a picture here of... I don't know. It must be a gaming conference and there's, or any, I don't even know if this is actually a gaming conference, but it's got an Intel billboard inside this, whatever this place is. And people are walking around. The shot is coming from, as a person is going down an escalator um, to get to whatever, whatever's going on there. So I'll read you a little bit of this. Hundreds of video game developers mill about a cavernous expo hall. Booths for everything from established industry giants like Amazon and Unity to cash flush Web3 startups Gleam, Glitter, and Flash, all vying for attention. This week, the video game industry convened for the Game Developers Conference, GDC, an annual gathering of video game creators from across the world that in most ways resembled a return to the good old pre-COVID days, save for the masks on everybody's faces, well, on almost everybody's faces. GDC, which hosted its inaugural event in 1988, has been a pillar of the video game industry for decades. It was also one of the first dominoes to fall when COVID began to sweep the United States in 2020, with organizers announcing the show's cancellation in late February, mere weeks after, sorry, mere weeks before it was set to begin. Now, after an all-digital event in 2021, the conference, which consists of both an expo floor and numerous talks in which creators share hard-earned wisdom with their peers, has returned to an in-person format at the Moscone Center in San Francisco. The landscape and booths and panels of booths and panels is representative of the industry's hottest topics. Different talks might promote or criticize NFTs and Web3. Executives at companies like Sony and Ubisoft extol the virtues of their approaches to staff management, while the Communication Workers of America, CWA Union, has a booth advocating for better treatment of those same reportedly explained workers. This comes at a time when video game studios have initiated plans for workers to return to the office. I'll get to that in a little bit, uh, albeit optionally in many cases. Nonetheless, some developers remain wary in the face of an emerging new variant BA2. That's like the latest 
thing with Omicron. It's merged into that and the looming threat of long COVID. And then we've got some quotes here from people who were there and companies that were there. I'm going to skip ahead on those. Uh, While developers in attendance said they were able to accomplish a lot online, there's still an added appeal to -to face-to-face gatherings, even if it's inadvisable for their faces to be closer than six feet apart. And that comes from the, you know, COVID rules of, you know, stay apart, wear a mask, all of this. I think everyone's been hearing for years, so you probably all know about that. Crowded industry conventions like CDC are infamous for attendees catching colds and flus, suggesting that COVID could easily take root as well. After February's smaller-scale DICE Summit in Las Vegas, many attendees claim to have contracted COVID. This year, GDC's health policy requires all attendees to be fully vaccinated, including a booster shot, or to present a proof of negative coronavirus test if they've been unable to obtain a booster. Additionally, attendees must wear masks at all times while indoors at the Moscone Center, except when eating or drinking. And I'll read you one more paragraph from the Washington Post here. In practice, however, the mask policy has not been well enforced. For every 20 to 30 people walking around the expo floor, at least one is maskless. In crowded, cordoned off talks about games like Cyberpunk 2077, it is not hard to spot developers with masks below their noses, compromising their effectiveness. The sheer size of the event means people are often bunched together in crowds. On the show floor on Wednesday, after somebody coughed in the distance, heads immediately turned as though trying to find the source and flee in the opposite direction. Elsewhere, developers gather in mass at parties and in the lobbies of nearby hotels, almost entirely unmasked. One longtime independent developer who chose not to attend GDC due to their immunocompromised status has been disheartened by the many maskless maskless selfies they say they've seen peers posting on Twitter. I don't think there's going to be a BlizzCon in 2022, but if there is, I can't go because I won't be safe. I will catch everything. I, you know, and even if I wear a mask, I think I'm, I know I'm immunocompromised in a number of ways. I have like two chronic illnesses that have no cure that screw with your immune system. So, I mean, I can't go to these things anymore, not in person. And I really, really, really wish that the big companies that want to act like, oh, COVID's disappeared and we're all fine now, you know, I just, I feel like these conferences are going to be the spread of COVID all over again. And I don't understand why people putting these things together don't think about that. It's not just the people that go. It's the people that come home to an immune compromised person in their, you know, where they live, like in their family, or they go to work and, you know, the next day or the day after they come back from the conference and maybe their workplace doesn't require masks anymore. And so now if they caught COVID, they might not know it right away and they might spread it to someone who's immune compromised at their office. And it's just, I think it's too early to do this stuff. I really, really do. I get that people want to be in person. I understand that. But there are ways to do it right and not do it right. And it sounds like this particular event isn't doing it right. You know, if you're going, oh, yeah, everyone must wear a mask. And then most people sort of take them off or push them under their chin. This is not helpful. And I'm honestly terrified that this is what's going to be conferences from now on is, oh yeah, we're going to protect people. We're going to have people wear masks. We're going to have people show they're vaccinated or negative for COVID and then just go, who cares after you walk in the door? You know, anyway, I mean, I just, you know, I, as an immune compromised person, these are the things I think about. It's terrifying. In a very different direction, uh, we have an article from IGN from today, April 1st. This is not an April 1st joke. I have no April 1st, you know, jokes, April Fool's Day jokes in here at all whatsoever, just to be clear. So this article is titled E3 2022 Digital and Physical has officially been cancelled. The ESA has confirmed the cancellation. So here's a little bit from this article. After previously cancelling its in-person E3 2022 event, the ESA has now informed its partners that there will be no digital event equivalent this year either, meaning E3 2022 has been fully cancelled. The news broke in a tweet 
from Razor PR lead Will Powers, who said that an email had been sent out announcing the cancellation of a digital E3 event. IGN, where I'm reading this from, has independently verified the contents of the email as well. The ESA had initially planned for an in-person E3 event this year after having no event in 2020 due to COVID-19 and a digital one in 2021. However, this was canceled in January with the ESA at the time unable to make a public statement on whether or not there would be a digital equivalent. According to sources speaking to IGN at the time... Discussions around E3 had been fraught throughout the year with third parties normally involved finding ESA's ongoing silence regarding their plans frustrating. Sources connected to the event tell IGN that discussions about a possible digital equivalent have been ongoing ever since, but without strong momentum to drive them. Instead, the ESA seems to be making plans to regroup for a larger comeback in 2023. And then there's an update. The ESA has shared an official statement with the IGN confirming E3's 2022 cancellation and announcing that E3 will return in 2023 with a, quote, a reinvigorated showcase, end quote. We will devote all our energy and resources to delivering a revitalized physical and digital E3 experience next summer. Whether enjoyed from the show floor or your favorite devices, the 2023 showcase will bring the community, media, and industry back together for an all-new format and interactive experience. And they're going to be in... um, We look forward to presenting E3 to fans around the world live from Los Angeles in 2023. So... Uh, and that the 2022 event has been canceled so they can focus on resources for the 2023 event. This is how you do it. You know, this is the right way to do it. And I really want to see more of this, not necessarily that they're canceling their uh, in-person event as well as their digital event for this year, but that they're going to offer a digital event next year. So people like me who can't be in a crowd right now because it's just not safe for those of us that are immunocompromised or living with someone that is. Uh, And that includes people who have like, uh, you know, grandparents or elderly people that they're living with, babies that don't really have much of an immune system yet, you know, this sort of thing. Um, I think it's a really good idea to offer a digital version of it. And that's also really good for people who can't travel because they don't have the money to get to the location and, and all of that stuff that comes with conferences. So I think that E3 made the right decision on this. I think that's a good idea. And we're back to the Microsoft acquisition. So CNET has an article... Senators urge FTC to review Microsoft's $68.7 billion deal for Activision Blizzard. There are four senators involved in this. And this is a really short little article here, so I'll just read you a couple paragraphs from it. A group of four U.S. senators is urging the Federal Trade Commission to review Microsoft's $68.7 billion deal to acquire video game giant Activision Blizzard. In a letter to FTC Chairwoman Lena Khan, the senators raised concerns that the planned acquisition would undermine, quote, calls for accountability over alleged misconduct, end quote, at Activision Blizzard. Um, And there's a letter here, if I can find it. The senators are... Senators Elizabeth Warren, Democrat from Massachusetts, Bernie Sanders, Independent from Vermont, Sheldon Whitehouse, Democrat from Rhode Island, and Cory Booker, Democrat from New Jersey. And uh, they've titled this press release as Warren, Sanders, Whitehouse, Booker, urge FTC Chair Lena Khan to carefully scrutinize proposed Microsoft Activision merger and its impact on workers. I'll read you a little bit from this. It's not as wordy as some press releases are from a group of senators about anything and they're asking they're requesting the agency closely examine its impact on workers the impact being the proposed microsoft activision merger this letter follows microsoft's recent announcement of its proposed 68.7 billion dollar acquisition of activision blizzard a gaming company facing internal blowback after years of an unchecked culture of sexual misconduct and discrimination the lawmakers note that the proposed merger threatens worker-led demands for accountability and could create a dangerous precedent in the industry they also urge the ftc to oppose the merger if if the agency determines that the proposed transaction will enhance mon- uh Uh, I think that's a typo. I think they're trying to say monopoly power, but it's spelled monopsony, but Sony's not involved. So I think that's a typo. Is there something called a monopsony? I think it means monopoly and someone just hit the wrong key. Uh, Power and worse than the conditions for workers. Um, Here's a quote covering all of these senators. 
quote, workers at Activision Blizzard following years of rampant sexual misconduct and discrimination and unfair labor practices have led calls for greater transparency and accountability in the gaming industry, and we are deeply concerned that this acquisition could further disenfranchise these workers and prevent their voices from being heard, said the senators. We've got a whole paragraph here about everything we know about going on that's been going on at Activision Blizzard. The senators tend to, any senator that wants to have some company investigated for whatever reason, they tend to get together with a few other senators so they're not by themselves, and then they provide background on why they want this because the assumption is if you're coming to find this news on a senator's website, maybe you're not a gamer or you're not someone who pays attention to the news in gaming. And so people might want to know, well, why do they want to do this? So there's a lot of that in there. Skipping ahead of all of that stuff that I've been telling you in this show and previous shows, I'm going to move on with the last little part of this um, press release. Chair Khan recently stated that, quote, robust antitrust enforcement can help ensure that workers have the freedom to seek higher pay and better working conditions and can help promote economic opportunity and widespread prosperity for all. Here's another quote by all of the senators together. Evaluating whether prospective transactions may harm our labor markets is a critical part of this enforcement, and our Prohibiting Anti-Competitive Mergers Act would require the antitrust agencies to keep workers front and center throughout any mergers-review process, continued the senators. So that's what's going on with that. (laughs) And... So we have that, and then we have, let's see, um, okay, this is the big one. This is why I, part of why I titled the show, yeah, gonna need you to come in. Um, Kotaku has an article here, and it's titled, Activision Blizzard Removes Company Vaccine Mandate, quote, effective immediately, and then there's an update to this that says employees plan a walkout. So here's from the Kotaku article, Activision Blizzard Chief Administrative Officer Brian Bulatow, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, so I'm going to go with that, uh, emailed all employees of the company earlier today, informing them that, effective immediately, the publisher was removing the mandate for employees working from offices to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19 and hopes to have everyone working in person again in the coming weeks. There's an update thrown into this part that uh, says a group of Activision Blizzard employees is planning the company's fourth walkout on April 4 in response to the new return to the office plan, uh, or to office plan. ABK Workers Alliance announced it in a statement Friday afternoon. The employees are demanding the Call of Duty publisher immediately put its vaccine requirement back into effect and allow remote work as a permanent option. Quote, the decision to, re- to work remote or in office should be made by each individual employee, the group writes. And uh, I'll read you a little more from them in a bit. The controversial decision to lift the vaccine mandate was apparently made last minute and without being run by employees or studio management, a representative for ABK told Polygon. Here's a quote from that. This reversal puts people at risk for infection. I and many other employees are angry that our company is pushing towards mandatory returns to office with this restriction lifted, they said. Activision Blizzard did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Now, the original story uh, has been pushed down to the bottom of this article, but I'll read you a little bit of that. Uh, Bulatow, I I don't know, um, says that as, quote, business and other indoor venues across the U.S. lift vaccine requirements, we feel it is important to align our site protocols with local guidance. The primary reason for this is clearly a desire for employees to return to the benefits of an in-person collaboration as early as June, though some employees also see the move as a chance to monitor staff more closely as part of management's union-busting efforts. There's also a safety risk involved, as the email says, quote, We know the situation is ever-evolving, and we will continue to monitor the risks for COVID-19 in all areas where we operate, which seems like a massive understatement when the New York Times is running stories like, quote, a new wave of COVID-19 is coming, in part because the full vaccination rate among American adults is still a relatively poor 66%. While the email says the company will act quickly and pivot if necessary if we see a future spike in cases for those who cannot return to the office for health reasons or simply choose not to in the face of dangers involved, the email says, quote, you may have personal circumstances you'd like to discuss with your manager and HRBP, end quote, and they, uh, Kotaku 
contacted Activision. Um, the, the email was posted and first shared by ABK Workers Alliance, uh, Jessica Gonzalez. This is what it says. It's kind of summarized already, but yeah. Okay, so imagine this is your workplace and you're an immune compromised individual or you have someone who's immune compromised at home with you, okay? Everyone, as conditions improve and we prepare to welcome more of you back to our offices, I'd like to share an update regarding our vaccine policy. Effective immediately, we are lifting our vaccine mandate for all U.S. employees. This means that employees no longer need to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19 in order to return to the office. Over the the past several weeks, we've seen businesses and other indoor venues across the U.S. lift vaccine requirements, and we feel it's important to align our site protocols with local guidance. While this change in policy addresses our current state in the pandemic, we know the situation is ever-evolving, and we'll continue, we will continue to monitor the risks for COVID-19 in all areas where we operate. I encourage you to review these FAQs, which should help answer your questions. Although proof of vaccination is no longer required to return to the office, we ask that you continue to confirm your vaccination status in Workday, I don't know what Workday is, by following this link, link is omitted, uh, having this information readily available will allow us to act quickly and pivot if necessary if we see a future spike in cases. We recognize that returning to the office looks different across our business units and even within our business units. We also recognize that different sites are in various stages of return. While this change may not have an immediate impact on those who are still working remotely, we wanted to communicate this now so that you have sufficient time to prepare. Over the next few weeks, you'll receive additional updates on what returning to the office looks like from your business unit or site leader, uh, yada yada. As we define what the future of work looks like, I want to remind us all of the benefits of in-person collaboration in order to ensure we all have a safe workplace where we can gather with colleagues and innovate together. It is essential we stay committed to protecting ourselves and others. Thank you for your continued patience and understanding during this time. If I was a Blizzard worker, which I am not, or an Activision worker, which I am also not, the first thing that I'm hearing is, yeah, we don't care if you're vaccinated. Come on in. You know, you're more likely to catch COVID, although people who are fully vaccinated can still catch COVID. It'll be a lesser, generally a lesser illness than if you have no vaccination at all and come back to indoor environments that may or may not be properly ventilated. You know, I'd be like, I'm never coming back. You know, I would never do that because I can't do that safely. I'm sure there's others working for this huge company that are feeling as much fear as I would be feeling if my company told me this. Now, full disclosure, Sean and I have our own little company and we work from home and we've been doing this for a very long time. So we don't have to worry about this specifically, but I'm terrified for everybody that's being pushed back to Blizzard and Activision just because somebody decides COVID is over over there. Going back to ABK, they tweeted a little bit about this. Due to the new RTO policy around no longer mandating vaccination requirements in regards to the ongoing pandemic, a group of ABK employees will be conducting a walkout on Monday, April 4 at 10 a.m. PDT. We have three demands. One, an immediate reversal to lifting the vaccine requirement. Two, remote work should be offered as a permanent solution. Three, the decision to work remote or in office should be made by each individual employee. We invite game devs from ABK and across the industry to participate with us virtually using the hashtags, hashtag sick of this and hashtag game workers unite. Because this is pretty important. And here's someone following up and I'm not going to say their name because they're not like a public Twitter, you know, like I can see it. I'm not saying they're like behind, you know, a, a, one of those little where you lock your account. But this person said GDC 22 is a cautionary tale. I went. Some at GDC did get COVID. I had to test regularly despite being vaxxed and boosted to ensure I don't get sick and bring it to my relatives, some of which are anti-vaxxers. It is fair to support a vax mandate, someone said. So that's an example. We just talked about GDC. This person caught COVID from that event. So that's, it's kind of scary out there still. And I think it is not a good idea to say, well, we don't care if you're vaccinated. Come on in, get all our immune compromised people and their immune compromised loved ones infected, you know, spread it around to people that have been trying very hard to do the right thing. Follow all the things you're supposed to do to lessen your chance of getting COVID. Just go ahead and get them all sick. It's fine. You know, that's what I'm hearing, but I'm kind of biased because I don't want people like me to get sick from stupid decisions made by corporate stuff or corporate people who really seriously, honestly, Activision Blizzard does not have a good record of caring about the well-being of their employees. So in brighter news, um, 
There's a thing here from Microsoft, and it's titled Forza Horizon 5 introduces sign language support throughout in-game scenes for that game. And that's really cool. So I'm going to read you a little bit about this. Even though Cameron Akit grew up hard of hearing, for him, British sign language is a second language. English is his first. An avid gamer, subtitles supplement what he hears, correcting things he may have misheard or missed because of too much background noise. But he has friends who are deaf, for whom reading captions can cause fatigue. Quote, for them, it's a really tiring experience, not being able to access your first language, said Akit, a London-based teacher of the deaf and accessibility consultant. We should be able to access the same story beats and narrative components. Otherwise, we're only getting half the picture and we're not getting the full experience, including sign language is about enabling more deaf and hard of hearing people to have ownership over their gaming experience. Xbox Game Studios developer Playground Games and Xbox invited Akit in as a consultant when they decided early in development to incorporate sign language support into Forza Horizon 5. Starting March 1st, a free in-game update will include American Sign Language, ASL, or British Sign Language, BSL, support for its in-game cinematics. The update includes actors from the deaf and hard-of-hearing community signing in parts of the story between driving, such as jumping into challenges, getting ready for a race, meeting other players, and racing across Mexico while planes fly overhead. That's fantastic. That's absolutely fantastic because now more people can play this game and get just as much out of it as people who can hear what's happening in the game. And anytime a company does this with a game, I'm all for it because what we need is you know, what we want is more ability for people to come in and be able to experience the game in a way that doesn't cut them off from a bunch of the content because of, you know, being hard of hearing or being deaf or whatever the case may be. So this is something good from Microsoft. And then we have this one from Kotaku on uh, yesterday, actually yesterday. Allegations of sexism, bullying, and burnout inside the Microsoft, Microsoft studio behind State of Decay 3. Wow. <laughs> okay. Maybe not everything's good at, at Xbox. So I'll read you a little bit of this. The video game industry faces a long overdue reckoning. The average game developer is underpaid relative to the generous bonuses and shareholder payouts enjoyed by the CEOs above them. And recent reports and lawsuits have uncovered a wide range of mistreatment ac across companies big and small. Many feel that something needs to change, and some industry leaders have openly agreed, but change is hard. It takes time. It can be costly. Maybe that's why even companies who talk a good game on workplace culture and responsibility can still come up short. Quote, our responsibility is simple. Do everything possible to ensure that this entire industry is about treating every single person with dignity and respect. Microsoft Gaming CEO Phil Spencer said on stage to a room full of game developers last month at the 2022 DICE Awards. The Xbox veteran has been beating this drum for a long time, but even he admits that he and other leaders haven't always risen to that challenge. Quote, we fall short when we fail to provide a safe and inclusive environment for every person who works in our industry, he said. We fall short when we tolerate abuse. We fall short every single time someone feels unwelcome in our industry and in our communities. Spencer's comments could apply to a lot of game studios. One of them is Undead Labs, the maker of the survival base building series State of Decay. Spencer helped Microsoft acquire the studio almost four years ago. Housed in an old brick building in downtown Seattle, 20 minutes from Microsoft's sprawling 500-acre headquarters, The Lab has undergone a massive transformation from lean indie to first-party studio with AAA ambitions in the years since it was sold. Undead Labs doubled in size but lost its charismatic founder. It's working on the ambitious sequel State of Decay 3, but after several years is still trapped in pre-production, and recently it's faced allegations of mismanagement, burnout, and misogyny, and as it's struggled to live up to its promise of being the welcoming, diverse, and inclusive Xbox first-party studio it touts itself as. Kotaku interviewed 12 current and former employees for this article, all of whom requested anonymity because they feared sharing their concerns publicly would doom their careers in the video game industry. Many felt positive about certain aspects of the studio. A few said it still has room to improve but has overall been a good place to work. Most considered the last few years since the acquisition a period of crisis and are worried management hasn't learned the right lessons. At first, some employees were worried the Microsoft acquisition would change the indie studio for the worse. Now they worry that the $2 trillion company's incredibly hands-off approach 
approach allowed dysfunction to fester, leaving some of the studio's more vulnerable employees to fend for themselves. As one former developer put it, quote, we were afraid they would come in and change our culture, but our collapse came from within and we could have used Microsoft's help. Microsoft PR initially reached out during the reporting process for this story to offer potential interviews on some of the topics it covers. Despite repeated follow-ups attempts by Kotaku, however, these interviews never materialized. A response to a long and detailed list of questions, Microsoft provided only a series of statistics, brief background comments, and the following statement on behalf of Xbox Games Studios' Matt Booty. He's got a little paragraph there that doesn't really say much. Yeah, and it just kind of goes on and on, so if you want to know more about that, like, that's another game company that's got a problem going on and I'll read you a little bit more. Uh, Undead Labs grew from a couple dozen employees to roughly 60 on its way toward releasing 2018 State of Decay 2. The game was bigger but still lacked polish, which was reflected in its critical reception. One month later, Jeff Strain shocked everyone by selling to Microsoft. Quote, I'm excited to welcome Undead Labs to Microsoft Studios, Phil Spencer said on stage at E3 2018, revealing a list of acquisitions as if he were announcing prizes on The Price is Right. Select staff at Undead Labs had been given a few days' advance notice, but everyone else found out during the press conference. Yet that was only part of what surprised them. The real confusion came because Strain, the founder and studio head, had always seemed adamant that Undead Labs would remain independent. Some recalled a rousing speech he gave to that effect on the production floor, not long before the official announcement. In hindsight, they wondered if he was just uh, it was just bluster to get a better deal out of Microsoft. Uh, Strain declined multiple requests for an interview and instead posted answers to questions from Kotaku on his Medium page. Uh, there's a link in this article to that if you want to go after that one. Um, and it just goes on and on. The studio siloed developers into multidisciplinary, quote, strike teams to prototype new features, but the links between them were weak with little oversight to keep goals aligned and prevent duplicated work. Uh, the result was a buffet of game systems with no main course. Too much time was spent preparing features like refined parkour movement or dynamic animal spawns based on the weather, while the player fantasy at the center meant to hold it all together remained undercooked. There was a guy, this is a quote from somebody, there was a guy on the State of Decay 3 team who is being blatantly sexist and Anne, whoever Anne is, let's find out who Anne is. Anne Slosher was the studio's first head of people and culture. Uh, so Anne didn't do anything about him, alleged one former developer. There was a manager of the tech art team that, that who was awful that Anne sided with and uh, low nearly the... and. Uh, nearly the entire tech art team quit. Current and former employees recalled a number of incidents in which they were having issues with various people on the team to the point of dreading having to be in meetings with them. Quote, what happened on a daily basis at the lab was lower key death by a thousand paper cuts version of sexism, said one former developer. It wasn't this one interaction was bad. It was more often than not interactions with specific people were infuriating. When they brought these concerns to Slosher, they said they received only excuses or found the blame pinned on the themselves. They said Holt and Slosher would often discount any discontent or studio growing pains as pandemic driven. While that was certainly a factor, current and former developers told Kotaku that Slack channels and video meetings remained weekly vectors for feeling bullied or condescended to. They said staffers repeatedly raised issues with Holt, like cratering morale and the toxicity of certain team members, but to no avail. So it's got the same kind of stuff going on everywhere. It's a long article. I'm not going to read you this whole thing here, but it might be interesting to read if you want to know more about that. Speaking of medium, and this is kind of weird. Um, <laughs> this is kind of weird. I did not expect to see this. This is written on March 30 by Brittany Hefner, who is Amazon Prime Gaming Partnerships PR on medium. Okay. This thing is titled Blizzard Titles Join Prime's Gaming's April Offerings. It's a weird title, but it's on medium. I used to write for medium. I stopped. I got bored. Um, <laughs> but I'll read you this. Uh, as the April showers begin to trickle in and we prepare for the long-awaited May flowers. Wow. That's really... <laughs> that's Okay. You didn't need that whole sentence there. Um, add Prime Gaming to your springtime plans with this month's exclusive in-game content offerings and selection of free games and content for popular titles. This month, Prime Gaming members can claim in-game content for popular titles, including Lost Ark, League of Legends, Lords Mobile, Mobile Legends, Bang Bang, 
that's one title, Fall Guys, and more, as well as a fresh lineup of free games, including the Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion, Game of the Year Edition Deluxe, Plants vs. Zombies Battle for Neighborville, Monkey Island 2 Special Edition, LeChuck's Revenge, and more. Read on for more details. And there we have Blizzard Entertainment, a big logo of Blizzard Entertainment. Prime Gaming and Blizzard Entertainment team up to deliver exclusive content to Prime members. So if you have Amazon Prime, you can uh, get some cool stuff that's from Blizzard. Uh, Here's some more information. Prime Gaming and developer and publisher Blizzard Entertainment are teaming up to make Blizzard's most popular games even better for Amazon Prime members. In the coming months, Prime members can look forward to claiming exclusive in-game content for some of Blizzard's biggest titles, including Overwatch, Hearthstone, and more. Prime members will have an opportunity to claim the following exciting new offers. For Overwatch, from now through September uh, 14, Prime members can claim monthly Overwatch hero offers, which will unlock a total of four legendary loot boxes and three standard loot boxes. Today until 427, Prime members can redeem the first Prime Gaming Overwatch drop, which includes a legendary loot box. Hearthstone. Climb the ranks with the Prime Gaming Hearthstone in-game content drops from now through September 14. Prime members can claim monthly Hearthstone offers for a total of four random guaranteed legendary cards and three standard card packs for PC, Android, or iOS. Today until 427, members can claim the first Prime Gaming Hearthstone drop, which includes a random guaranteed legendary card to celebrate the upcoming launch of the title's latest expansion, Voyage to the Sunken City, on April 12. I've mentioned that one because that was a video they put out that had voiceover describing the visual stuff that people who are are blind or visually impaired would not be able to see that's the one they're talking about that video was cool and made things very accessible hiding things behind a prime members thing is not not a good move y'all i'll read you a little more here uh players can also look forward to additional prime gaming offers for other blizzard favorites including world of warcraft and starcraft remastered stay tuned for more details soon and then there's some gaming challenges that Amazon Prime is doing with whatever Amazon Luna is. I don't know what that is at all, but there they are. And there's a list of all the games. There's some more in addition to the ones that they pointed out specifically. I don't think this is necessarily a good thing. First of all, you can play Hearthstone for free. I think you have to buy Overwatch. I'm not sure. I've never played it, but... What this is going to do to the communities of people that are very into either one of those two games... Um, or apparently coming up World of Warcraft because, of course, we need more drama over about what, how World of Warcraft is going and the decisions made there. There's been a lot of drama about that. And StarCraft Remastered, I don't know really anything about. But if what's happening here is in order to get the special loot involved with each of these games, you have to have an Amazon Prime account. Now, the drops they're talking about are probably done on Twitch, which you have to have Sometimes you have to have a Prime account for that, and sometimes you don't. So there's probably going to be some drama later when people say, hey, I can't win because I don't have, you know, I don't, I didn't do the, the Prime thing, I can't afford it, or I just don't want it. And now all these other people have all these extra, you know, awesome cards that they're using against me, and this isn't fair. I mean, some people are going to think that. With Overwatch, they're getting loot boxes. I don't know if... They'll get an additional amount of loot boxes, maybe more than what uh, regular players that don't have the Prime membership uh, are getting. And some people might be a little miffed by that. But I don't think, like, if the loot boxes are things that don't alter what your character can do, just maybe alters their look, that might be okay. But... I think this is going to generate a whole lot of drama, honestly. Um, I've got an article here, a Q&A with workers leading the games industry unionization movement from Vice and is talking about uh, the Communication Workers of America. So if you want to know what they were doing, they were at GDC. And I'll just, uh, it's a question and answer kind of thing. So I'll leave that for you to find in the show notes because it's kind of a lot. Going back to E3, I've got a website here, E3 2021. And they are doing an award show, uh, official E3 2021 award show set for Tuesday, June 15. 
Uh, this looks like a press release from the way it's laid out here. Uh, selecting from titles that will be showcased during the four-day live E3 2021 broadcast that begins on Saturday, June 12th. June 12th, editors from IGN, GameSpot, PC Gamer, GamesRadar Plus, IGN China, and Game Bonfire will determine the winners for the official E3 2021 awards show. Results will be announced during the last day of the broadcast on Tuesday, June 15th. There's a quote about this. Um, so... Yeah, the esteemed media panel will focus on selecting the most anticipated game of E3 2021, as well as recognizing most anticipated titles from each participating publisher and developer. The E3 live broadcast will be hosted by broadcast, not in person, broadcast. That's a good move. Um, will be hosted by Greg Miller, Jackie Jing, and Alex Goldenboy Mendez, and as well as featuring new and upcoming game reveals, will also include publisher press conferences, developer interviews, panel discussions, and much more. So that's apparently what they're doing. Now, I th earlier said that E3 was um, not going to do in-person or uh, uh, streamable, you know, kind of things. This seems to be separate from that, so I, I don't know what they're doing over there, really. Going back to Blizzard, I've been highlighting the people that the Blizzard Entertainment account on Twitter has been highlighting for Women's History Month. So here's a few more that I don't think I got into the previous show. Let's see, they've highlighted on March 25th, uh, Amanda Hugh, and she is a cinematic producer, story, and franchise development. They highlighted on the 28th, Maria Hamilton, who is the lead quest designer for World of Warcraft. On the 29th, they highlighted Alicia Cornelia, who is the senior game producer on Hearthstone. On the 30th, they highlighted Kristen Kaz Hinkle, who is the manager, global growth marketing operations. And on the 31st of March, they highlighted Julie Ann Bram, who is the senior software engineer two of Overwatch. So that's probably going to be the end of the this uh, list of people that they're highlighting for Women's History Month because Women's History Month is over. It's March uh, that they do it, is my understanding. Uh, it actually says Women's History Month next to all of these ladies' names. So I think it's good that they highlighted this for a number of reasons. One, it's a good way to kind of make some of your workers that are doing really good and have you know significant positions to feel like the company cares about them. Um, not specifically the higher ups, but like the people that they work with, you know, that they team with that kind of thing. I think that's good. I also think it's a, always a good idea to highlight people who are marginalized in one way or another. And with this specifically, most people still seem to think if someone's working in games that they're a white dude and that's not necessarily true for everyone in games so i think it's good to say hey look here's all these women that are doing this and in doing so they make people who use twitter go well maybe that's something i can do too you know or somebody who's watching their mom look at twitter and, and look at these might go oh wow girls can do gaming too you know if they're like five or something and don't know any better you know don't know much about it or they're you know 10 and think they want to do games they might feel encouraged so i'm glad that they did this and um, I'd like to see them do it again, you know, next time around and highlight more people because I think it just makes everything more diverse. Okay, so moving into the Diablo stuff, on March 25th, the Diablo Twitter account wrote, The end is nigh, and put two little fire emojis around it and said, Diablo 3 Season 25 will soon come to a close. And uh, someone asked, But like when? And the Diablo account responded, Nigh. <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. There's more details, though. So Season 25, The Lords of Hell End Dates. This is written by community manager Filthy Rich. And here's what you need to know. Season 25 is coming to a close. Below are the times when Season 25 will end for each region. North America, April 10 at 5 p.m. PDT. Europe, April 10 at 5 p.m. CEST. Asia, April 10 at 5 p.m. KST. We will be providing a Season 26 preview soon, which will include the start time for the next season stay tuned that was on march 22nd now as for me i've been trying to play diablo 3 as much as i can this happened to hit during what i call pollen season that makes me really really sick with allergies but i've been trying and for season 25 i've been playing a monk instead of a barbarian so it's been a little difficult to kind of shift over i've played a monk before but it's been a very long time since then and I just recently finished chapter four of the season journey and started working on Slayer a little bit more. And we'll see if I can get there before April 10th. I mean, today's the first. There's 
be a possibility, but we'll see how it goes. Um, if you want to see any of those videos, there's a link in the show notes at ShatteredSoulStone.com that leads to my Book of Jen YouTube page, which is where I post all my gaming videos and stuff like that. So you can see what I've been up to and what I've been doing. Okay, so then we have from the Diablo Immortal account a tweet. Face hell in style. Pre-register today to unlock exclusive cosmetics at launch. And there's a link to something. Before I get into that, I just want to say that the Scrappy server, they did a Diablo Immortal campfire. Okay. And I was in one before just a little bit and it was about, uh, I can't remember what it was about right now, but this one was specifically talking about the Diablo Immortal news and I was able to participate in that. And Red October asked for permission to put the announcement that they were going to do that into the Shattered Soulstone server, which on uh, Discord, which I obviously allowed, and then also posted the uh, the audio of it. So if you are in the Shattered Soulstone Discord, you can listen to that if you'd like to. Um, it's a little long, but it was an interesting conversation and it was kind of fun to do. And so there's that if you want to see what you know a bunch of us were talking about in regards to the Diablo Immortal stuff. It's all in there, and you can just join the server. That you know. I don't think you need a link or anything like that for it. So there's that. So here's the blog post from Blizzard about Diablo Immortal pre-order now available for iOS. Um, so I'm going to read you part of this. This is on March 28th. Starting today, iOS users may pre-order Diablo Immortal on their devices from the App Store. The Diablo Immortal team is proud to create the opportunity for additional battle-ready adventures to combat Skarn's deadly demonic forces and prevail. If Android is your preferred platform to slay demons on, don't fret. There is still time to pre-register. Head over to the Diablo Immortal website or Google Play Store to sign up. We cannot wait for you to slay, loot, and explore in Sanctuary once Diablo Immortal launches. Now, there's a cosmetic set that um, they, they've got a little video for, and it looks pretty cool. This is how this is going to work out. Sanctuary will need the help of all available allies to cleanse its lands of evil. This will only be achieved by the swing of an axe, by channeling arcane power, and by pre-registering for Diablo Immortal. If at least 30 million courageous adventurers pre-order slash pre-register to download Diablo Immortal, then we will unlock gear born from light and justice for all players, the Haradrim cosmetic set. To don this cosmetic set in battle, you must complete the Diablo Immortal tutorial within 30 days after the game's release. Modeled after the Brotherhood of the Haradrim, an ancient collective of mages and wizards selected by Archangel Tyriel, the Haradrim cosmetic set blankets those who wear it in gilded excellence. Forged in light for only the most devout adventurers, the set morphs to its wearer's martial expertise, creating a distinctive look for each class. And players from the following regions cannot pre-order Diablo Immortal on iOS from the App Store, but can still download and play Diablo Immortal once it releases. And these locations are Hong Kong, Indonesia, Macau, Malaysia, the Philippines, Singapore, Taiwan, and Thailand. Players from these regions can still pre-register for Diablo Immortal via the game's website. So there's that. So if 30,000, was it? 30 million. 30 million people sign up for it. I've signed up for it then we might all get these cool, you know, Brotherhood of the Haradrim <laughs> cosmetic sets. They look kind of cool. We, there was some pictures of them out on Twitter and stuff. They look good. So I hope we get it. That'd be kind of neat. And then we have um, more about the cosmetics. There's another article, Transforming Yourself in Diablo Immortal, also posted on March 28. Uh, so they're going to talk about the cosmetics, how they work, and all of this. The... Uh, the people involved in this blog post are principal designer Joe Grubb and art director Hunter Schultz. So the cosmetics um, can radically change your character's appearance without affecting your gear or stats. Think of them as a new visual you can apply instead of your equipment. So this is like kind of a transmog, but not exactly a transmog. There's different ones for each class. Each cosmetic set is available to every class. They affect your outfit and the look of your weapons. A few include custom animations. And there's some examples here of what this would look like. And they started with the Bloodsworn cosmetic set themed around the minions of the Countess in the Dark Wood. And it's got a picture of each class in there. 
so that you can kind of see like what your class might look like with that one. In Diablo Immortal, your character's normal gear fits their anatomy by design. There isn't, for example, a suit of armor that will make your crusader bigger or smaller. Cosmetics let us break the mold and transform your character's appearance into something different, even otherworldly. Here's the Necromancer and their gear altered by the Ghosts of Ashwold uh, cosmetic set. And it looks really creepy and has like this giant weapon and all this stuff. It looks good. Our plan is to roll out a new cosmetic set for all classes each month. Each month there's going to be a new cosmetic set. Themed after the month's battle pass, Ghosts of Ashwald above is first. Purchasing the battle pass for a given month will allow you to unlock a cosmetic outfit for any one class, and purchasing the premium battle pass will also include custom portal skins and portrait frames. Other cosmetics will be available in the shop, some very closely tied to the world and backstory of Sanctuary, while others are classic themed shifts, like a set that has your character encased in ice crystals or dressed in the royal garb of Westmarch. We also want to make room for, for cool free cosmetics, and a number are earned through play. Members of the Immortal Faction have their own exclusive cosmetic sets unlocked as they raise their faction's dominant stat, which they can wear until they're overthrown naturally. And you have to pre-register, of course, to download Diablo Immortal right now. Um, you can do that to help unlock the free Haradrim-themed Living Legacy cosmetic for all players. Um, there's gems and resonance, which there's a lot in here. And you're kind of like leveling up gems. Is If you listen to the... Um, the uh, Diablo Immortal campfire thing that uh, was done on the Scrappy server and is sitting in the Soulstone server too on Discord. There was a lot of talk about that, so I'm going to let you you know get it from there or read the article that I'll have in the show notes either way. Class change is kind of a thing. Okay, in Westmarch, you'll be able to change your existing character to a new class and a new visual customization. When you change your class, you'll retain all your progress on Paragon levels. You'll receive a new set of equipped items appropriate to your new class, and you can transfer all of your item progress and gems to them. None of your old equip equipped items or stash will be lost, and your progress on Herodric Vessels and the Heliquary will stick around too. You will need to start collecting legendary items specific to your new class, but that journey is part of the fun of playing. And if you regret the choice, you can activate the class change feature again, returning to your original class or exploring other new classes you haven't played yet. When you return to a class, you'll revert to the visual customization you chose previously and equip your previous legendary items. We didn't want to force our players into the hard choice of giving up progress on their main characters to support character to support an alt. We also didn't want anyone to feel obligated to keep a roster of alt characters to gather rewards or resources, or to match the shifting demands of leaderboards, cycle of strife, or other competitive systems. Class change gives you the freedom to explore classes that you get from the multiple alts, but without any of those downsides. It also allows you to give full rewards to each new character you play with no expectation you'll share resources among them. We want your original class selection to be a meaningful choice, not something you change session by session. So we're discussing limits to this system that still give you freedom to try out new classes as we release new content. And I'll let you read the rest from there. So that's kind of some cool stuff going on with that. The Diablo 4 quarterly update released on March 29. This one's about an update on systems, itemization, and visual effects. And if you uh, have followed the Diablo account, they posted a bunch of videos from uh, the art and like the world kind of thing. And that's what a lot of it is. This is written by Joe Shelley, game director of Diablo 4, and also Chris Ryder, the art director of environments at Diablo 4. And it's, you know, it's hard to explain it, but if you want to see like all of these things say pre-alpha in development content, not final. And if you look at the Diablo account on Twitter, you can see, you know, like animation, like a character running through a certain area and that kind of stuff. But this is more something you need to see than for me to describe. And I'll, you know, everything's in the show notes, but there's a lot of stuff and it's really like dark and grim for the most part. There's a town that looks like it's in a desert and, you know, all of this, like there's a deep ruin with the character running through that. And the videos are actually in this blog post. So I'll point you to that. You can look at them all if you're not on Twitter or don't like Twitter for whatever reason and check it out because it's really neat art and they put a lot of work in it and I'm glad to see some progress happening. I like the direction the art is going. I like that it kept the creepiness of the game, you know, maybe amped it up a bit. I think that's pretty cool. And from the Diablo community and, and from other stuff as well, we've got Pure Diablo 
who posted a blog post titled Breaking Down the March 2022 Diablo 4 Quarterly Update. So this is a developer analysis update, and this is written by Vang. So if you want to see what Vang has to say about the different locations and things like that, there'll be a link in the show notes with everything else. There's also a forum post, Diablo 2 Resurrected 4.1 PC server-side update written by Pez Radar, community manager. This was on today. This came out today, April 1st. Um, Hi all, today we'll be performing a server-side update to Diablo 2 Resurrected. This will not lead to any downtime for players and will be performed in the background. This server-side update is to address the bug related to all caps character names, which is also causing a mismatch to files where the user keybinds are stored. This fix will address any characters that were created prior to our Tuesday 329 maintenance that had keybinds reset for each game session. Characters that were created after the maintenance will need to take a few extra steps to address this issue after this server-side update is complete. As this issue affected nearly all PC players, we wanted to make sure this went out and to prioritize those characters as soon as possible. For characters that were created after the Tuesday maintenance, you'll need to follow the below steps. Locate your character files here, and it shows you where to find them. Rename this and that. Uh, Your key bindings should now be fixed, or locate your character files at this other thing. So if this affects you, there's directions in there that you can go to fix it. Uh, Again, this only affects newly created PC characters after our maintenance on Tuesday 329. If you had existing characters on your account prior to the maintenance, they will be fixed. But if you had any new characters on that account, you'll need to adjust those specific character files. So there's that. And I think the last thing in here, Riker has a YouTube video where he talks about the Diablo 4 quarterly update and uh, the video went live on March 30. So he says, if you want to listen to the update instead of read it, there's an option for you. And that brings us to the end of this episode, which probably went longer than maybe it should have, but I had a lot of stuff to talk about. So here we are. I'm going to close out the show now. You have been listening to episode 353 of the Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in game. Our in-game community and clan in Diablo 3 specifically are both named Shattered Soulstone. They are open to anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page as well as the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening.